I think it's really important for finance to have a seat at the table. There are so many different factors that our pricing affects from our go-to-market sales motion to all of our financial modeling and our success as a business. But at the same time, just because it's dollars and cents doesn't mean that the other perspectives are not important. Welcome to The Roll Forward, a podcast for the next wave of finance leaders, especially those looking to transform their roles by making smarter, faster, and more profitable business decisions using the power of technology and a forward-looking approach to finance. Listen in to learn how to get out of the back office trenches and become a more strategic partner within your organization. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Roll Forward. I'm Joe Garofalo, and this episode is brought to you by Mosaic, a strategic finance platform that transforms the way business gets done. Today, our guest is Kaylor Lewis, Vice President of Finance at Fivetran. Kaylor, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Joe. Glad to be here. Super excited to see you again. It's been a while. To kick things off, can you give us a quick overview of your background and the company Fivetran? Definitely. I'll start with my background. So, well, as you know, spent about five years working with you and some of the Mosaic team over at Palantir Technologies, building out the strategic finance function. Over the past three years or so, I've been building the finance function at Fivetran. Started as the first finance hire there and I've just sort of built everything zero to one and joined when we were pre-Series A all the way to just our recently announced Series D. So a lot of action in that short time. Incredible growth there. It's been a really interesting experience to say the least. A lot of change, some of which we'll talk about throughout this session here, but yeah, it's been fun. That's awesome. Yeah. We're super excited. And for those that don't know, Fivetran is what I would call the leader in automated data integration. So we automate data pipelines from your source SaaS applications or databases into data warehouses to accelerate data analytics. We're huge fans of Fivetran. We're power users ourselves internally, all the way back from the early days of when we started the company, we knew how important and how big uh, Fivetran was, was gonna become. So cool, thanks again for being here. We're super excited to dive in and chat. Last time you and I had a chance to connect, we were talking about how you were raising a unicorn and going from that pre-Series A all the way to the most recent round that you guys just announced, I think earlier this week. So congrats on the $565 million Series D, valuing the company at over $5 billion, and the recent acquisition of HVR. Back when we were chatting about a year ago, one of the hot topics we were talking about was a transition that Fivetrend was going through around moving from subscription-based pricing to more of a consumption-based model. It seems like from the recent news that something did work there, and we'd love to kind of dig in and uncover how you thought about that switch from subscription-based pricing to consumption-based pricing. So can you give us some background on the decision to switch? Definitely. And you're right. Something did work, but it didn't come without some issues. So I'll talk about those a little bit. But yeah, the number one reason for making the switch is that our old pricing, and for context, we were on subscription pricing. We charged a fixed fee annually per connector that we sold, but that pricing was not aligned with the value that our customers were getting. It was as simple as that. We moved data and we thought that measuring the volume of data that we're moving would be a much better measure of the utility that our customers are getting. Some folks can lean into per user pricing that doesn't really apply to us. Some folks are just selling one piece of software and can charge off of that. Also doesn't really apply to us and a couple of other considerations, our space, just the cloud data infrastructure space, whether it's competitors or partners or ancillary tools, this entire space, people charge on data volume almost exclusively. And so it just put us much better in line with the market 
and ultimately was a better measure of how our customers were actually benefiting from Fivetran. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like some clear advantages and disadvantages of the consumption-based pricing were to align the value that you guys were creating for your customers with the upside that, that you can share on the revenue side. What were some of the disadvantages of making the move? Yeah, the disadvantages, <laughs> there are a lot of operational hurdles. I'll talk about those in a minute. From the customer perspective, there's unpredictability, right? Customers don't have a great sense for, or it's difficult to get a great sense for, how much are we really going to spend? I'm sure a lot of folks out there can resonate with that and they're hosting infrastructure bills. Oh, yeah. They seem to be climbing month over month, right? And we run into a little bit of that problem as well, just with the optics and the predictability. Absolutely. But I think, to be fair, you guys have put on a masterclass with the pricing structure and the transparency. It's super easy to understand. So I would encourage anyone to go to your pricing page on Five Trans website just to see how it all works. And it's very clear once you're kind of in the loop. But I think one of the topics I really want to dive into is most folks in finance don't ever really get a seat at the table when it comes to pricing and packaging. But it sounds like you were pretty integral to the overall move from subscription to consumption. Can you talk about what the role finance was that you played? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for finance to have a seat at the table. There are so many different factors that our pricing affects from our go-to-market sales motion to all of our financial modeling and our success as a business. But at the same time, just because it's dollars and cents doesn't mean that the other perspectives are not important, right? You have to consider the customer perspective. How are we going to market this? Even the product team has a big say in this. They're building the infrastructure. But ultimately for us, we wanted to make sure that the new model was going to make sense. And there was a lot of consideration, a lot of data that went into that from just studying the market, what other folks do, understanding our customer behavior and how they use the product and how can we make a model that works for all customers. And there is a lot of nuance to that. It was very tricky to get a model that from a numbers perspective works for everybody. And I think first iteration didn't quite get there, but we've been iterating, we continue to iterate and finances is there all along the way. Another pretty important factor is really just trying to understand what's the end goal, what's the financial impact of this going to be. We went into this eyes wide open that hey, we believe there was going to be a net positive to our revenue, but it wasn't going to be without bumps in the road. Some customers were going to get smaller, some were going to get larger. It was really important for the finance team to have a great understanding of that because it affected our planning and our numbers for, for quite a while. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, when you think about financial modeling, one of the most important things that we can do is drive predictability in our financial models. And when you move to a consumption-based model, you lose some of that predictability. So how did you kind of adjust and account for that? That's right. The predictability is almost all out the window. There are ways to accommodate for that in some consumption-based pricing models. Folks can think about annual contract minimums or things like that. We did not start out that way. It was just pure consumption-based. But going into it, we studied the data really hard. We tried to poke holes, see what could go wrong, do some sensitivity analysis to figure out how could we possibly miss here. But on a go-forward basis, we've learned a lot. We have a lot more data. We have a lot of customers that we can lean into for understanding how customers use the product. And I recommend segmenting the data as much as possible based on customer size. And for us, it's customer size or region or industry, what have you. All of these factors at the end of the day do correlate with how our customers are using the product and how much they're using it. The other things more a little more bespoke to Fivetran are just the actual 
use cases that they have, the source data that they're connecting through Fivetran, all of these things can help educate us on, well, how are these customers going to grow and use the product in the future? And, and what is that going to mean in terms of our revenue? I love that segmentation, putting customers into different prototypes or, or buckets that behave a certain way or, or that you expect to behave a certain way, which kind of brings me to my next question around what kind of shifted in terms of the tools that you were using going from subscription-based pricing and financial modeling to more of the consumption-based pricing? Was it new software? Was it existing software or your own internal software that helped? Yeah, I'll tell you, Joe, this has been one of the most challenging aspects of this change. The infrastructure required to move to a consumption-based pricing model is very different than a traditional you know, SaaS subscription model. So for us, there were many things. Our billing system needed to change. Our Salesforce and CPQ implementation got a major overhaul. Our products and engineering teams have been very involved in actually measuring the consumption itself. So there's a whole new element that you bring in with the product infrastructure. Yeah, and then we're now a much more self-serve oriented business than we used to be. So the payment infrastructure all changes as well. So anything you can think of will require an overhaul. And that's actually one of the things to really plan for if you're ever going to be making this change, because you can't mess up customer billing, right? It's very important to have a smooth customer experience, but it's very hard to execute when you move to a consumption-based model. So Kaylor, when you were going through this transition from subscription-based pricing to consumption-based pricing, what were some of the operational hurdles that you had to overcome to accommodate the process? Yeah, well, there were a ton just across the business. I mean, every virtually every team is affected by this type of change. For the finance team in particular and our leadership, it was really just trying to understand well, what was going to happen. So we did a lot to study the data and our particular unit of measure that we were going to move to we did not have much data on it. We had usage data, other types of it, and we had to make some aggressive assumptions on how is this going to translate to our new model. And so we did a lot of stress testing to just understand how customers might be pricing in this new model. And some of the changes were drastic. So just thinking through all of the edge cases and everything else was particularly challenging. And not only that, I think we were maybe a little too aggressive in some of the uplift we were going to get from this. In this type of transition, you need to be conservative about how much increase in revenue you really you might really get but it was certainly helpful having a tool like mosaic to help us do a lot of the scenario planning and just better understand the impact on our financials in these various things that we were trying to plan for yeah i mean i love to hear that obviously customers being happy makes me happy i think to double click on some of the points that you just made there so obviously if there was a customer that had a salesforce connector and they had a million rows of, of data versus a customer that had a billion rows of data, the value that the customer you know, with a billion rows is now going to be much greater. So it sounds like some of that may have been easy, but was there good historical data to base those decisions off of to get that revenue uplift? Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> like I mentioned, the unit of measure we were moving to, if you look at our website, we use something called monthly active rows. And there's a particular definition on that that is advantageous to the customers, but it's not something we track historically. So we had raw usage and depending on use cases, that doesn't always align exactly to the measure we were moving to. So we had to do our best to understand a, a small amount of data, use that to extrapolate as, as best we could into the impact we would have on particular customers. And I'll tell you that that exact statement that you made is one of the major advantages for us in moving to this model. But for each customer, 
the pricing historically was a little bit inconsistent to say the least. And some customers were going to be decreasing substantially in price. Some are going to be increasing substantially in price. There were a lot of wild swings and we had to do a lot to accommodate that both on the planning side, but also in the execution phase with our CS team and sales teams. So certainly made for a lot of challenges, but, but well worth it. Yeah, for sure. Was translating that raw usage data that you had from the application originally to the monthly active rows, which was the new unit of measure for the consumption-based pricing, was that a finance activity or was that more a product and an eng? It was a collaboration for sure. I think when understanding the financial impact, certainly a finance activity, but a lot of it required going pretty in depth with our engineering teams. At the end of the day, that's all the product infrastructure and measuring our usage and, and how customers are, are using the product. And so again, it was highly collaborative. I would say that's one of the major things throughout this entire process. And we talked about this earlier with and talking about who has a seat at the table. Everybody needs a seat at the table. This type of shift is monumental for a business uh, and you can't leave anybody out. Absolutely. I hear you. And it feels like consumption-based pricing is more and more becoming the norm. I think one of the things that our audience should really know is that when you're dealing with these consumption-based pricing models, can you talk about the relationship between finance and engineering and product and how important it is to be in sync so that you can actually get the right level of transparency, visibility, and understanding from the product that you need to do things like reporting and, and planning and modeling um, and understanding what the future may look like. Yeah. Yeah. The synergies between those groups really accelerates in this type of model. Because like I mentioned, the product and engineering teams are really close to, well, how are we actually measuring the consumption? And you know, it's not always as simple as count the number of rows of data. It can be a little bit more complicated than that. So when you think about the entire pipeline from the customer using the product to measuring that, to getting that into your billing system, rating that appropriately, depending on volume tiers and discount levels and things like that. There are a lot of dependencies all throughout and those teams need to be in lockstep. On each side, you need to be talking about the requirements to getting this implemented. You have to get ahead of any potential changes that you're gonna be making because again, everything's in sync. And once you move to this model, engineering, product, marketing, sales, finance, they're all forever entangled. Absolutely. What is it? a world-class level of collaboration look like there? Is it weekly syncs, monthly syncs? Is it a piece of software that may help there? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're making the transition, it's at least weekly, right? There's a very detailed project plan that needs to be put into place. Many different stakeholders are involved. Many different opinions are involved. And unless you have a very detailed and clear plan, it's going to be tough to execute. Uh, on a go-forward basis, though, I think having something on a monthly basis is also really important just to talk about changes, challenges, what are customers seeing, what's difficult on the engineering side, what's difficult on the finance side. The project never really stops. I think that's one thing that we learned and weren't necessarily prepared for either is that the implementation took quite a long time and it's still not really over. We're still making tweaks. We're still optimizing the systems involved and the infrastructure involved. I think some folks may feel like the pieces are just holding together, <laughs> um, but I, I think a lot of companies in this model would tell you that and it's really important to just know that you're all one team going forward when it comes to managing a consumption-based model. But despite those challenges, it's really worth it. There's, if that model's right for you, the upside is there. I think it's really advantageous to the customers. 
Absolutely. And I mean, again, pricing, it doesn't really matter if there's no value there. And it's clear that, that you guys are creating tremendous value for your customers, which makes the whole process easier. What do you think it's been about 18 months since, since the switch? What would you have gone back and, and done differently if you had to advise a customer kind of going through the same thing going forward? I think we would have sought more external advice from the beginning. We thought we had a really good handle on how other companies like us did this type of pricing. We didn't really think about the nuances. Well, stepping back, we thought about the nuances of our business quite a lot, but we didn't necessarily understand how those were going to mesh with this type of model. So I think seeking some external advice, whether it's consultants or just getting a a panel of advisors together, folks who have gone through this pain, I think would have helped. And the other thing is probably just a little bit more scoping, particularly on the infrastructure side. We really wanted to rip the bandaid off and just get this done and go to market with it. But we didn't allow ourselves enough time to get all our ducks in a row on the infrastructure side. And it created a lot of pain for teams internally. We made it work, but I think things could have been a little bit smoother and slowing down to speed up may have benefited us. Classic. And that advice is all too real. It resonates with me at Mosaic. And it's always been the case working at high growth venture back companies. So totally hear that. Last question for you on the topic of subscription-based to consumption-based pricing. How did you guys handle renewals with existing customers? Did you guys grandfather in? How did that process work? Yeah, we thought about this a lot because we knew... It would create friction, especially in a company like us. We've been growing quickly. We've made pricing changes before. Nothing as dramatic as this, but we were sensitive to the fact that it wasn't the best customer experience to dramatically change pricing. However, we knew this was going to be a foundational shift for us, and it was really important for us to more or less rip the Band-Aid off. So when it came to renewals, we didn't allow folks to stay on subscription-based pricing. We had everybody move to the new model. This did make us more flexible when discounting was appropriate or extra discounting was appropriate. We were thoughtful about what customers are going through and what this transition meant for them. So, you know, with that, the customer success team was very closely involved and went deep with every single customer and and they required more resourcing to get this done and their priorities changed to get this done. But at the end of the day, we felt it was much better for us to just make the transition not try to operate two models for too long. Yep, It would have really impeded any progress we could make in the future if we had done that. Cool. Well, it sounds like it was a wild success. So congrats on all the recent milestones that you guys have kind of conquered and excited for the future, of, especially with the new acquisition of the company, HVR, that you guys just added to the squad. To wrap things up here, one question that we always like to ask all of our guests is, Anyone that's you know aspiring to be a CFO or VP finance, what piece of career advice would you like to share that you wish you knew when you began? That's a good one. And to take our viewers back, I'll give you a second to think. So Kayla and I, we actually met at a career fair when we were recruiting for Palantir. And Kayla was an intern. I think he was going to his senior year and we picked him up at Palantir and he just excelled so quickly. I think it was pretty tremendous of him to go in and and pick up some of these more technical programming languages like SQL and like Python, because that's, I think, where the space is is headed is so much more technical, so much more data intense, so much more about things like Fivetran, which are ETL and and pipeline driven to really be that next generation of CFO. So props to you, Kaylor, and it's been a fun ride working together all these years. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. And I learned a lot from you and and the entire team over there. So it it was a lot of fun. But but you gave one free piece of advice right there. I think for me, using that as a segue a little bit, 
of course, being more technically savvy, more data savvy was helpful. But ultimately, it was just getting my hands dirty in as many workflows as I could, learning things from the bottom up and wearing as many hats as I possibly could really helped with where I am today, able to build things and really understand how they work, understand dependencies through and through. It's been a tremendous help just being able to speak the language of all the different finance functions. That's so true. I mean, if you're in the weeds in the beginning of your career and you're sending invoices to customers, you understand what's going on the invoices, which means you know how the product is working. You're seeing how customers pay and all of that, you know, snowballs into being able to build a consumption-based pricing model segmented by customer to understand, you know, how that's going to affect future growth. So totally resonates with me. Cool. Well, Kaylor, thanks for joining. Really appreciated the insight. It's a very hot topic. A lot of customers, Mosaic customers are thinking about moving to consumption-based pricing. I know that they're going to enjoy listening to all the insights that you shared today. Great. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for checking out this episode of The Roll Forward. This show is powered by Mosaic, a strategic finance platform that transforms the way business gets done. If you enjoyed what you learned in this episode, make sure to follow The Roll Forward wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Or visit mosaic.tech slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes. 